Welcome to Afterthoughts. This week we have a special edition where the whole church staff is gathering to answer some get-to-know-you questions. So we want to introduce the team to everyone who is listening, and then uh, we're going to have some fun with uh, some get-to-know-you stuff as we go around the circle. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Fellowship, and we're going to pass the mic around and introduce everyone along with what they do here. Good morning. I'm Emily, and I'm a administrative assistant. Hey, I'm Matt, one of the pastors here. Do uh, teaching, missions, sending, a host of other other admin things. Hey, I'm Miles Moon. I'm the youth and college minister. So I basically hang out with students from fifth grade to college graduates. I'm Hugh, one of the pastors here. I oversee small groups and membership, counseling, and do some teaching. And I am Walker, and I do worship and communications. Yep, worship and communications. As he's doing communications right now, trying to get all the levels right for the podcast. So uh, this morning, Matt is going to kick us off with some get-to-know-you questions, and then uh, people will jump in as the Spirit moves. All right, so everybody was asked to be prepared with one question to help the church get to know the staff team. So here's my question, guys. What, guys and gal, uh, what was your oddest eating habit as a child or as a teenager? Was the oddest eating habit uh, as a child or teenager? Walker, you look prepped for this. I'm ready to go. I used to love to eat ketchup and cheese sandwiches. I would make them to take the lunch with me. Like the cheese squares that you take the paper off of and... The gross plastic cheese? Yep. Not cheese? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, cheese, so cheese I need, product. I need more description. Uh, I don't. I can't picture this in my well, head. My mom Ketchup made, and cheese. My mom made it for me. I asked asked for it. <laughs> yes, she did. So <laughs> she would squirt the Heinz ketchup, spread it, smooth surface, unwrap the fake cheese, put it on, and and then in the lunchbox, and it was a delight. Are we talking double ketchup, both pieces of bread? Mm, I think it was just one side, one side of the bread. All right. Two questions. Follow up quickly. <laughs> At what life stage did you outgrow your mom making you sandwiches? And when did you stop eating this ketchup and cheese sandwich? I know I was in elementary school when I was eating this. And I was trying to convince myself one day that it was good. And I realized that it wasn't good anymore. And I'm going to say that was maybe maybe, uh, third grade. And my mom probably made me sandwiches up until I was in middle school. My mom made me a sandwich like a week ago, so I'm wow. never going to wow. outgrow Strong. that. All right. Who else? Fried okra has always been like candy to me. So even as a super young kid, I would eat mountains of fried okra. Do you do gooey okra? Like okra tomatoes, squishy? Does it have to be fried? <laughs> It, growing up, it was always fried. Um, I've encountered some roasted okra, hmm. some pickled okra. Pickled okra. It's it'll it'll get it'll get you by in a pinch, but nothing can touch fried okra. All right, Brandon, Emily, any odd eating habits as a child? Uh, you'd have to tell me if this is odd, but I I'm very fine with routine. So through. Probably middle school, maybe into high school, I would eat the same lunch for the first half of the year and then the same lunch for the second half of the year. Like 
ham sandwiches, whatever, same stuff, pack it up, let's go, peanut butter and jellies for the second half, couldn't care less, consistency is fine with me. Was it same down to the chips or apple oh, yeah. or same whatever? Same stuff, Everything. easy to shop for, no, no need for variation. Why one half versus the other half of the year? I think that's just when, like, Christmas break gave me enough of a, a gap to say, all right, I'm ready for something different. Ready to mix it up. Yeah. Go crazy. Why not? Yeah, I'll, I'll one-up you there. Um, not really a strange eating habit, per se, in the, the food choice, but that was my method for paying off my loans. And everyone who knows this about me is their favorite thing to make fun of, but... I just spent the first year out of college with a loaf of bread in my car and a, like a, I wanted to say a can of peanut butter. That's not what it is. <laughs> What's a jar? it? Jar. jar. Thank yeah. you. A jar of peanut butter. And lunch and dinner was just a peanut butter sandwich. And maybe not the best health choice, Brandon, but I mean, pretty cost effective. So one piece of bread or two? Definitely two. You need, you need all of the bread. You didn't squish it together like a hot dog? You want, you want the whole square. Okay. So how long does it take you to work through a loaf? Yeah. You have to go through it pretty quick, or the humidity of the car makes the oh. bread mold. So you just eat when you're hungry. <laughs> wow. All right. Get to know Emily. All right, Miles, you got a question? <laughs> I do. I'm glad I didn't have to go on that question because it had to do with picking my nose. Um, my question is, if you had to fight either a T-Rex or 10,000 cats... Which would you choose and why? Oh, you have to fight a T-Rex or 10,000 cats. I would 100% fight the T-Rex. Okay. <laughs> because I don't like cats. I know, hot take. And then 10,000 of them is way too many. Death by 10,000 cuts sounds worse than death by 1,000 cuts. And then uh, a T-Rex, if I just stand still, maybe it'll go away. I'm thinking like fastest death. So I would pick the T-Rex as well. Just I'm not going to fight and engage. I'm just going to die quickly. And the T-Rex is more likely to kill me fast than 10,000 cats. Coward. <laughs> yeah, I want to live. So I'm going to give my, my chance, uh, give my, myself a, a shot at it. And I'm going to go for the cats. I'm kind of with Hugh here. I would submerge myself in water. And let the cats just wait on the shore. And you would just drown? Uh, my mom taught me to swim in middle school, so. Well, maybe elementary school. We're going to back that up. <laughs> Did she still make your sandwiches then as well? Or yeah. just teach you to swim? All right. I would probably go T-Rex. I feel like there's more opportunity to hide a little bit, to be agile. How's cats. Yeah, I could do some running, at least get some relief. <laughs> With the short arms, how does a T-Rex fight? Big With mouth. its mouth? Is it just chomping you? With his razor teeth. Well, he's teeth. got a big tail, too. But how does he grab you to eat you? Just bites? I think he swipes you down with the tail. Ah, good And move. then goes with, the, goes with the mouth. Okay. If I was a T-Rex, that's what I would do. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not. I would, I would fight Walker. <laughs> <laughs> All right, who's got another question? What has been the biggest surprise of your life? 
I'm adopted. <laughs> Just kidding, I'm not. We can dial it back a little bit. Just a big surprise. Making us think. Sarah always likes to make fun of my proposal and Wendy's story, which uh, was our first date. But actually, a big surprise. She won't like me saying this, but she called me on Christmas Day that year. And like, don't call a dude on Christmas. This was back, I mean, early cell phones. And so I remember getting a call from Sarah Hood on Christmas morning wishing me Merry Christmas and thinking, there might be more to this than just a casual friendship going on here. So she picks on me for uh, picking her off on the first date, but she was pretty bold in her pursuit. That was a bit of a surprise. The other one that comes to mind is find out we were pregnant with Fuller. Like that oh, yeah. was uh, that was a big... Uh, 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 crazy yeah, phone that call. Was, that was a good surprise because I enjoyed getting that phone call. I remember I was sitting in the airport in Spokane, Washington, and you called, and I just said, oh, brother. <laughs> That's basically what I said as well. <laughs> sure. Um, for for me, the thing that came to mind, we had, we've got three kids, two girls, and then when uh, with, with our third, I thought for sure we were going to have another girl, and Hearing it's a boy was a gigantic surprise for me. I think this question is making me think about how routine my life is, which is fine with me because I'll eat the same thing for lunch all the time. Um, maybe th this is probably not in the spirit of the question, but uh, Carla has managed to live with me for almost 14 years. So that's that's good. I told her before we were getting married, I was like, I'm, I'm kind of particular and I might be difficult to live with. And here we are still going strong. I'm happy about it. Wow. And what do you anticipate is the most difficult piece of you to live with? All of it. <laughs> the whole package. <laughs> yeah. I, I could live with you for 14 years. No, Try you couldn't. <laughs> Yeah. Nothing coming. I can only. I'm, I'm thinking the kids realm, the kid kids realm, and we didn't find out with either one of Grady or Ellie if they were going to be what gender they were going to be. So, girl, the first time that was exciting. One hundred percent, I knew that Ellie was going to be a boy. Everybody and then all the nurses were were calling her or him like. It was going to happen, and she popped out, and she was she was a girl, and that was a big surprise. I got nothing. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> like all of no our surprises. surprises are children. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> all right, Brandon, you got a question? Yes. You have to get a visible tattoo. Oh. What is it, and where does it go? Does anybody have a tattoo here? I don't. Emily does. Emily, what is your tattoo? Oh, that was really ridiculous. She was away from the microphone, and I just asked her a question. Sorry. Okay, let's go shut the door. I I have a little wrist tattoo. It just says glorify, but it's in my sister's handwriting, and I've been writing it on my wrist since ninth grade because my basketball captain got us all to do it in our first game, and then I carried on the tradition and 
was like my way to try to remember in sporting events to do it all for the glory of God. But then, of course, in college, and you go to a Christian college, you want to have an edgy tattoo, and all your friends want to get an edgy tattoo, and I didn't feel good about getting an edgy tattoo, but I wanted to be a part of the crowd, so I just solidified it, saved myself the uh, Sharpie time, and there it is. Glorify. Love it. Can you define visible? How visible are we talking? It has to be something that if you went to the pool, people would see it. So not, a, not asking for a neck tattoo here. That's not usually the place that people start. Although I have a friend who got a neck tattoo, just all the way up to his chin, whole throat, everything. Not before every other square inch of him was covered, but that was kind of the seals the deal for uh, probably never going to have a professional career. I don't know what I would get. I'm just really hairy for a tattoo. <laughs> Julie actually, she she would love for me to get a tattoo, but I just, she, I just, I'm so hairy. <laughs> but I think if I was to get one, it would be like a forearm something. I don't know what it would be though. So, but right there on the inside on the, of the forearm, the like forearm. down, like running vertically down your forearm, or yeah, uh, yeah the whole thing. I think so. Hmm. I have no idea what it would say or what it would be, but I think. Those look cool. I think the uh, the things that I find most moving are probably like hymns in, in various shapes or form. And so like some variation, I'm not sure what the, the image would be. I don't know, like write a paragraph on your rib cage. Like that's not a thing for me. But uh, some visual representation of Be Thou My Vision would be, uh, I think, in my wheelhouse if I was going to go that way. Well, this is a little more serious than Brandon's answer, but I would get Hugh Carson's face on my chest. It's something I've always wanted to do, and, and this question affords me the opportunity to say that out loud. Would he smile when you flexed? Oh, like no, the tattoo would be such that... I think I think if you're going to go there, I'm going to one-up you and just say you should do like the Mount Rushmore of the pastor's faces. <laughs> no, just you. If I did the Mount Rushmore, Mount Rushmore it would be four of Hugh's face. <laughs> it, would be, it would be four of Hugh's face. <laughs> maybe, a, maybe a different emotion attached to each. You'd have to pack on a little bulk to get the Mount Rushmore this across your chest. This is the dumbest podcast <laughs> we've ever done by a long shot. We're trying to compete with the happy rent. I'm thinking, uh, you know, all, all old stuff comes back, right? So mom jeans are back in now. So I should, for my first tattoo, I should get like some barbed wire around my bicep. Yep. But right? don't, don't connect to the inside because that's the part that hurts. Pro tips with Brandon. Straight up 1990s tattoos, man. Get you a puka shell necklace, too. I've never had those. I don't believe that. <laughs> I'm probably a classic, like, scripture verse guy. Like, I could see. Just the reference? Just write like the reference. Like a reference or a phrase from a scripture verse, and it would probably be, like, upper arm. Something that would be hidden by a T-shirt. Um, but that you would, that would be visible at the pool. I could see doing that. Mm. I have no clue which one. Proverbs twenty thirty, which says something about blows and wounds cleansing the uh, inner spirit. No, that's not it. <laughs> All right, Walker, you got a question? Yeah. Okay, if you could have a talent that you don't already have right now, what would it be? Best talent. question so far. Thank you. Thank you. 
I'm going to be asking better questions. I feel like general like coordination. That's not a talent, but I'm just really uncoordinated and moving my body in any strategic way. So like dancing, Sarah would love if I could dance. I can't. I can't do something different pace with my hands and my feet. So like jumping rope at the gym, I can't train my mind to do feet and hands, different things, flipping upside down, anything that requires bodily coordination that's not just grunt work, I really struggle with. So I would, I would love to be more coordinated. That's not a talent, but it's a skill, it's a skill that I wish I had. If we're doing talent versus skill, what, what's the... How do we define those things? I'm curious. Okay. I haven't thought through that much. All right, great. You can give us a category if you want to. No, that's fine. I'm just curious. I would love to be able to sing. So, like, I hear Jess Pisano or Caroline Ridgway just ripping it from stage on a Sunday morning, and I'm like, man, if only the Lord had blessed me with that. (laughs) So you want to sing like a female? What you're saying? Uh, <laughs> not the direction I was going, but yeah, sure. If I if I could sing like Caroline Ridgeway, I would take the voice of a female. Yep. <laughs> Shout out to Caroline. <laughs> Hope you're listening. Are we uh, like entertaining super skills, super talents? Let's keep it on the ground. Let's mm. just just human. Now I want to know. I, I don't. I don't have an answer then. <laughs> I feel like uh, a talent that I would like to have that I think is in some ways developable, developable. But then there's some people that just have like the creative spark would be to be able to uh, write either really good fiction or like poetry that holds together and like stands the test of time. So you think of like uh, Paradise Lost, which is this big epic poem that kind of lays out all this idea of what it's what it's like when man uh, sins and how Satan makes the deal and all these things that go on and like, and it's been here for years and years and years or something along those lines. Something that you could write that people would find value in in 500 years would be a pretty cool talent. I tweet some stuff on occasion. It'll probably last five years. <laughs> Mine's simple. The first thing popped into my head is I just like to be a good runner. Mm-hmm. I think that would help in so many things, whether that's like different sports or you know not dying during a Spartan race or escaping CrossFit T-Rexes workout, escaping T Rexes and ten thousand cats. Yeah, being a good long distance runner would be great. All right, while we're with you, what's your question? I'm not sure my question measures up to the scale we talked about before, but it is a would you rather question. And it is, would you rather have to give all of your sermons or teaching moments in theatrical, musical um, format, or not be able to tell the difference between a baby and a muffin? Is this assuming that I can sing like Caroline Ridgway? <laughs> Sorry, what? Assuming I can sing like Caroline Ridgeway? You have your current skills only. Mm. I was going to go more like Hugh Jackman. Like if I could <laughs> deliver all of my content as Hugh Jackman, maybe in The Greatest Showman, I would pick that. Um, 
but I like muffins and babies. So this is kind of a, I'll take both. So we're doing, is the idea that you would eat the baby? We're like, doing a baby dedication <laughs> soon. I don't, I don't eat every baby or what muffin that I see. you guys punked me and, and, you, and you're like... Here's a lineup of muffins. You know, just, just give Hugh the script. He'll read it. He can't tell that the blueberry muffin is actually a muffin. Let's wait and see. That is super weird question. I guess I'm going to have to sing my sermons and act them out. I mean, the question is, how long does a baby stay a baby, right? Because as soon as it's a toddler, you can tell. That's not the question. I have a question to your question. Did you think about that for a number of days, and then that was the question? Or was that just, like, off the fly? That was When Matt Rogers head. says, come on Tuesday with a question, my wheels start turning. And I, I came with, like, ten, and that's and the that's one I the landed. And that's the one you pulled out. <laughs> that's unbelievable. All right, so let's crank up the the uh, seriousness for a minute uh, or for a few minutes as we finish. So if you were to fast forward your life 10 years from now and you were to take a stab at what you'll be doing and or where you'll be doing it, what, uh, what would you be encouraged, passionate about, uh, excited to be doing 10 years from now? You just sunk my battleship because in 10 years, Charlotte's going to be getting ready to leave the house. Right. I know that's sooner for you but and, and for Hugh, but still, that's kind of like a, ugh, I don't like that thought. But uh, Just take those the, other people out of the equation. Just you. Yeah, but that's so selfish. So <laughs> the, uh, the, but part of what I'd be excited about is I think like walking through and trying to give guidance to older kids as we're kind of thinking about next steps and setting them up to kind of launch them into the world to be successful in their own unique ways. Um, I had a great childhood. My parents were awesome, but that wasn't their superpower. Kind of thinking, what are you good at? How can we connect that with something that's going to benefit you? They kind of left that in my, my court a little bit more. And so I, that would be exciting to be kind of grooming and, and sending as much as I'm able to do that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty blessed to get to mostly do things that I like to do. Sometimes it's more of it than I have time to do, but it's generally things that I enjoy. So if I was, or I would hope to still be pastoring and caring for people and a church, uh, I would prefer that to still be here. And then, um, you know, if that's still kind of bivocational and uh, still working at the gym in 10 years. I don't, I don't think that's a lose. I think there's a lot that we can do to help a lot of people in that period of time. So um, kind of more of the same, but better is, is what I hope that I will be doing in 10 years. In 10 years, we'll be, uh, Holly and I will be close to 30 years of marriage, which sounds like a long time. That's a pretty exciting uh, thought. We'll have a couple of adult children in 10 years, which is, which is crazy. Um, so uh, definitely want to leverage those, those two things well. In terms of career, I want to be here pastoring at Cherrydale. I think my 10-year down-the-road picture is pretty vague. 
I'm trying to figure that out. But right now, to me, that looks like cross-cultural ministry somewhere. I don't have any idea where or even what. I think that's been changing kind of by the year. It started as like middle school ministry, and then I wanted to do sort of college development ministry, and I don't know. I'm learning that with the right team and the right, yeah, people alongside you, a lot of it is really exciting and really growing. So I'm trying to figure that out, but hopefully somewhere in full-time ministry. I think the thing that gets me uh, edge of my seat most is uh, thought of uh, training uh, under-trained pastors around the world. Uh, the estimates range like somewhere between 5 and 15% of the world's pastors have even basic theological education. So kind of the informal training that uh, kind of everybody around this table has had uh, to a degree. Most of the world's pastors don't even have access to that. So uh, if I were projecting 10 years from now, somehow I'm going to have my hands in that conversation, whether it's uh, short-term travel, whether it's investment in an international seminary, whether I, I, I don't know what that work's going to be, but something that makes a dent in getting theological education in the hands of the people that are leading the church around the world. I think mine would be similar to what Brandon talked about, about doing things I'm doing now, but doing them better. So I would love to. I would love to still be here. I would love to still be doing um, worship ministry. Love to do that more in a pastoral pastoral role um, from the stage and with the people. Um, being able to do. I would love for us to be able to write music and have um, albums that we have put out as a church, so that people like Lenny and Ben and um, Robert Ridgway and Caroline, like, giving them opportunities to write songs for the church. And um, also to be able to disciple worship leaders coming up. So it would be really cool to have a Christ Fellowship hub of worship leader training that we're sending out to plants. That would be really cool. Um, So just, yeah, doing a lot more development than what I'm doing right now and having the skills to be able to do that. Yeah, you know, when I uh, applied to seminary, I applied for a seminary scholarship, and on the application, they wanted me to specify exactly what I'll be doing in Baptist ministry in 20 years, and I just thought, I have no idea. Like, I don't, you know, the that word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I think the Lord only gives us enough light for the next step, because showing us the end of the path would overwhelm us, and so I, I really don't know, so my answer is going to be kind of vague, but I think I see myself as more of a teacher than a preacher. I think something that I really, I love to teach God's word and I love for um, right now in my current context, teaching students, I love to teach them the Bible in a way that after reading a passage of scripture, they, they look at it with fresh eyes and they go, wow, I've never read the Bible like that. I see the glory of God in this text. And I see that God um, inspired the words of this passage that I'm reading so that I would see his glory and appreciate it in the Bible. And so I think teaching the Bible in some capacity, I don't know if that looks like in the context of a local church, like what I'm doing now, or if that looks like something, you know, like Matt, you talked about um, internationally, because I I see the same thing, you know, when I went to India, just seeing pastors of churches who have books on their shelves in their living room that are by false teachers and just thinking, man, there is such a need for theological training around the world. So as I grow and mature, recognizing that I have so much wisdom to learn, um, as I, as I kind of get toward that goal, I can see doing something like that as well. 
All right, that's great. Last question. We're going to actually just go around the table with this one, force everybody to answer. So uh, when you're bragging on our church, what are you saying? What's the kind of first one or two things? We'll start with Emily and just work our way around. When you're bragging on, on our church, what are you most proud of? I think the first thing that pops into my head is the come and be one of us and be known. I think new people coming in, there aren't a lot of churches that I've been to where pastors are coming and sitting beside me as I sit alone in a church where I don't know anyone and they're asking what my name is and getting me plugged in. We've got a really intentional staff, but then we have really intentional members. And so I'll find out I met somebody new and I think I'm the first person to meet them, but they've already been over to two members' houses and gotten to connect with people. So just the let's be a part of community and let's know each other and let's push each other to know God and, and glorify him in day-to-day. It's a really – it has a individual push for members to take up that call and, and chase after people and, and love them, which I really like. Yeah, I would, I would normally call attention to the way that the church cares for one another. Um, I think that people here do one anothering really well and are generous with their time and their things and their space and their attention to take care of others, uh, whether it's child care, if somebody needs something done, if somebody's sick as we've gone through the, the pandemic, uh, the way that people have cared for families, brought meals. Um, I know of, of people have offered to, to pay bills and do all kinds of things just to make sure that people are, are cared for and loved. And uh, I, I think that's a, a pretty unique, shouldn't be, but it feels like a pretty unique thing in church experience to be so giving and so uh, caring in, in the local church. Yeah, I was going to say um, the family, uh, intentionality of being a family when we when we were first looking at the church, we were stalking you guys online, and every, there was a bunch of family language and family meeting, and um, saw pictures of events, and it was just really like almost down home. Everybody just w- wanted to be together, so that was really encouraging. Churches we've been a part of was more of a structural, like you're coming to a program, but this is like coming to hang out with family, and it really feels that way. And um, and also, I think a big part that goes into that is that leadership is not high and mighty and out of touch. They're really with the people and almost a downplay of um, the hierarchy of of leadership to to the people. So that's really special. I like to brag on the simplicity and sincerity of the church, that there's not a lot of drama, that the people at Cherrydale, they act like Christians. And um, and they're a joy to lead. Yeah, I think the main thing for me is um, just the concept of grow, grow and go. What I see us doing is we kind of grow and swell, and then every few years we go and plant a church. Um, so we're, you know, our mission statement says that we exist to multiply. And in my four, almost five years at this church, I've already seen that um, actually happen, where we have multiplied and um, planted another church across town in an area where, you know, neighborhoods need to hear the gospel and they're right there by the church. And that can happen because we were faithful to not just grow and be comfortable with our numbers, but grow and go and send for the purpose of multiplication. Yeah, I would amen a lot of things that have been said around the table. I think in addition, uh, our family's just better because we're a part of the church. Like I see kind of 
just universally in our crew, burdens being shared, generosity being extended, um, you know, that, that sense of like kind of the uh, quote finger, we do life together that gets a, a bad rap, but like literally these are, these are friends, these are the people that we uh, live, learn, work, and play around, these are people that we interact with, that we, uh, that we call when we're in a pinch, we've got uh, five or six that live in our neighborhood, you know, members of the church, and so just the ease of walkability and connection and watching the game together and uh, church is really because it's not like this kind of bolt-on extra that we're doing, but it's just these are the people that we're journeying through life life with. So um, we wanted to do this. We're going to spend the day kind of hanging out together, but uh, wanted to record the podcast just so you as a church kind of had a sense of who the people are that are giving some uh, level of direction and leadership uh, to, to the body we meet every Tuesday and um, primarily this team is responsible for the practical kind of street level uh, activity of the church, planning events, executing uh, service flow, making decisions about uh, just the in the weeds practices of the church, whereas the pastors and elders are giving kind of 30,000 foot vision and direction uh, this group is uh, executing. So as things are, are happening, you see changes being made, like this is the group to, to encourage, this is a group to ask questions to as you need. We want to be the kind of people that are uh, open-handed and serving and loving and caring uh, for you well. So hopefully you are encouraged by virtue of being a part of the church and hopefully you know the staff a little bit better as a result of listening. So till next time.